Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. I'm standing on the promises. Sing verse number three. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong core, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. I'm standing on the promises. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my I'm standing on the promises of all right, tell your neighbor you sang so well that you need to be in the next Sunday morning's all-sing choir, okay? Shake a hand or two there. <sighs> and just, just remain standing. We're going to sing number 252. Number 252, down at the cross. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cry. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood of glory to. Number 252, verse 2. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in, glory to him, glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to Now the last verse. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. 
Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made. Ushers, you come on now. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to All right, every once in a while, someone hands me a piece of paper to say, would you play or do something with this song? So I'm going to do that here in a minute. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you today, and we thank you for uh, the wonderful service we had this morning, and I pray that tonight you'll be with Pastor Daniel as he comes to preach. Just guide us through this time of offering. We pray that we multiplied many times as uh, it reaches to the very far ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, David. We have a video here from the IMB. We're gonna gonna watch.
coming Friday in uh, Islam, they have a ho- holiday called the EID. I think they actually have a stamp for that in the U.S. Postal Service, and that they have actually have one of their holy days coming up. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was driving down Limestone here in Lexington, and it's, uh, it's uh, not far. It's right there at the university. There's a sign. I'm sure, sure you all have seen it. It says, Future Home of the, uh, I guess, the Islamic Temple or Islamic Organization here in Lexington. The truth is, Muslims, it's not, I'm not saying there's so much, they're coming here, they're already here. We have Muslims all around us. And I wanted to show that video because I wanted to share, before we open here in Luke chapter 9, that this morning that Bible verse we read out of Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It talks about how we are to God, Abba, Father. As Christians, as born-again believers, we come to know God as our Heavenly Father. He's a personal God that we talk to like we would be talking to one another. I mean, obviously there's a sense of reverence with God, but He is not a distant God. The concept of God in Islam is not like that whatsoever. Allah, which is just the Arabic name for God, that's who Allah is, Allah, according to Muslims, is a distant, far, far away God. So it's a completely different concept, and they would never call God Father or use a personal pronoun. He's a, a reverent person, reverent thing, way, way out yonder. So it's a completely different mindset of understanding the doctrine of God. And that's something as believers that Jesus, I think, was teaching us when on the cross, when he's using that name Abba, to call, speak to his, uh, almost calling God Daddy. That's what's like a child saying, Abba, Dad. It's just, you, you're a personal God that we certainly serve. So I want to show that video just to, it reminds us that we live in a time where even here in Lexington, there's Islamic, uh, I guess, temple being built, a shrine being built. So we are surrounded by Muslims. The thing about, we never want to use the word Allah. when uh, Allah is not the God of the Bible. Uh, Allah is not the Father of Jesus. Allah is what's, di- and what's difficult about this. Say you and I were IMB missionaries and we were working in the Middle East. And this is so challenging for them. And we go out and we witness to people about the Lord and about Jesus and about God. In Arabic, you, know, you have to learn the language when you're a missionary. If we spoke Arabic, this is what makes it so tough. The word Allah is all that word is, is Arabic for God. There's nothing special about it. So from the English to the Arabic, the word God translates Allah to God. So just English to Arabic. So for uh, Christians in the Middle East, they typically do not use. If if we were a born-again believer in Saudi Arabia, we would not want to go around ever using just the name God. Because if you were on the street and, and talking Arabic as a born-again believer and you use the word Allah, they don't think of the God of the Bible at all. They're thinking about the God of Islam. You would use words as Jesus, you would use Lord, you would use the word Father, anything other than the word Allah because of the confusion with that. And I believe the devil actually did that on purpose to say, hey, all we do is... All, all Muslims pray to is the same God that you pray to, and we just call him Allah. No, that is not true at all. That the, the Father of Jesus is not Allah. And the, 
the founder of, uh, of, of Muhammad claim of, uh, of Islam. So I wanted to share that because I think it's important for us to understand when we come across our Muslim friends and neighbors right here in Lexington to be aware that they are not talking about the same God. We certainly are. Luke chapter 9. Open your Bibles. We are going through the uh, Gospel of Luke. We are uh, here. I'm going to give you a schedule next couple of uh, uh, Sunday nights. We haven't had, I guess, a normal Sunday night since, gosh, May 6th, I believe. Uh, that was the last time I think we actually had. Next week is Father's Day, so we do not have evening worship service. Two weeks from today is June 24th. We're going to do something different. It's the summertime. Sun doesn't set till after 9 o'clock. We're going to have, at 6 o'clock, visitation. Church-wide visitation. You say, Dan, who are we going to visit? We have a hundred, so far, this was this morning, Nancy um, uh, Crawford told me 175 children have already pre-registered for VBS. 25 of those actually go to this church. 150 kids that we don't even know who these people are. They have signed up to bring their children to VBS. So what we want to do is we share the gospel during that. This is a great opportunity. It's a one-time, you can commit to one time. Brother Hurt's organizing and heading this up and that you'll show up at 6 o'clock on Sunday, two weeks from night, June 24th, and you'll get a name of some people in the community who've attended uh, VBS, and you'll go visit them and bring them cookies. You say, you knock on their door, this is missions, that's what we're talking about. Anybody can do this. Thank you so much for allowing your children, and you coming to our church's Vacation Bible School we, we had a great time, a lot of fun. The boys won the penny war. I, I had a blast. We'd love to invite you to church. And you give them some cookies. And it is maybe a little, and we'll have a little, just an invite, even a, just a church bulletin. And just say, hey, we'd love to have you come visit one Sunday or one Wednesday and just bring your family. That's it. Anyone can do that. That's outstanding follow-up. And it gets everyone involved. So we're going to have, that's going to be two weeks from tonight. So it's a little bit different. It's not a worship service. You'll still come at 6 o'clock, but then we're going to we'll have everything organized for you. You'll break down into teams, and you're going to have a list, and you're going to go out. Three weeks from tonight is July 1st. We're having a uh, 4th of July, uh, like a, a family-style barbecue. So it's going to be a, a, um, a good event for, um, for everybody on July 1st. Then on July 8th, it will be a normal Sunday evening service. I won't be here. I'm going to go with Voice of Praise. I think they're going to Owings, Owington, Kentucky. So I'm going to uh, join them and go to their tour. But that will be our next, I guess, regular Sunday evening worship service. So that's the next four weeks here with our Sunday evening schedule. Luke chapter 9. Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. So I want you to know, who are the twelve? The twelve are the twelve disciples. Jesus has come down, and he's um, spoken to uh, these twelve, and he brings them in, and he gives them this, uh, this authority. So he's passed it along to them. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I think what's powerful about this, we're seeing a picture of Jesus. These people lived sent. They are being sent out by God. You know, two weeks when we go out in our community, we're being sent. We're saying we're going to, okay, we invite people here all the time, but at some point, we have to go to them once a year. We're going to go and be intentional about bringing the good news to them. 
And he says, take nothing for the road. He told them, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. I want to tell you why he said that. He doesn't want it to be dependent upon anything of them. He's saying, guys, I want to show you the power of God. I want it to be almost to the point that you're homeless, that you were just going to go out and allow the Lord to take care of you. You're going to bring just empty hands. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Basically, that's saying, hey, you've rejected me. You, 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 and I think what's powerful about this, we don't, we don't do this. You know what we tend to do? When someone rejects us, what do we do? We lash out against them. First thing we say, well, I want to tell you. We fire right back. If you go and, and, and you're trying to present the good news or do something good for someone, and they kind of push, give you pushback or even say, no, go away, you're like, well, I'll show you. I'll never come. Jesus, there's no verbal. You never say verbally anything. He says, okay, I'll just shake my feet off. Okay, I'll just, if you don't want me here, I won't come here. But you don't say that. He just, you quietly leave. That's what he's saying to him. You never, just because someone verbally rejects you, you do not return the favor. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And it says that's their testimony, but it's not a, uh, it's not a verbal testimony. It's a testimony that you just, you, you, with your feet. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. I think what we see here is we see a picture of the sending of the twelve Disciples, Jesus Christ, He committed His kingdom and His work to His disciples. Meaning, Jesus doesn't appear out of the sky and say, I want you to believe in Me. Do you know God works through you and I? He works through this body of believers here as a church. He empowers us. He gives us the same type of authority He's given the disciples, and we're the ones who go out. We're the ones who live sin. What's interesting about this, Jesus went ahead and prepared these people for rejection. The truth is, if you're doing missions work and you're doing personal evangelism, and you're praying for lost people, and you're praying to be intentional, see folks saved, you will be rejected. It will happen. It will certainly, people, um, you know, J- Jesus was rejected. He was sent to the cross. We also will receive the rejection. Okay, meantime, before these people come back, there's a story in between the story here, and it's about Herod. Now, before we read it here, in verses 7 through 9, we're, there's four sections tonight that we're going to look at. What we see here is Herod... This is, this is the son, his name Herod Antipas. During Jesus' time period, this is the same Herod we see from his birth all the way to his death at the crucifixion. He deals with this one Herod. Herod Antipas came to power in 4 B.C. That's why we know Jesus wasn't born before 4 B.C. He was born after that. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. And he uh, did a lot of good things there, Herod the Great, in building-wise. So this is the same Herod we see from who's trying to kill Jesus when he's a baby all the way to trying to kill Jesus and does kill Jesus when he's on the cross, when he's there. So we're going to see here um, what happens. Verse 7. In a little bit, we're going to flip over and look at um, a couple of... uh, Uh, relating passages that go along with this. Herod the Tetrarch, who is Herod Antipas, heard about everything that was going on. 
He was perplexed because some had said that John had been raised from the dead. We're going to look up that and why he believed that. Some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Now, this man Herod, he bragged about beheading John. Now, back earlier we saw John the Baptist was beheaded. And the reason why is because this man, Herod, he married his brother's wife. He took his brother's wife. She wasn't divorced. He just took her and uh, married her. And then uh, John the Baptist said, Hey, Herod, what you've done is wrong. Well, that quickly ended John's ministry. John the Baptist preached on sin. One of the signs of a good preacher is they can preach on sin. That really is. It can be challenging, but... It's the truth. John the Baptist preached on sin. Jesus preached on sin. And God expects preachers today to preach on sin. So what happens here is this Herod wants to see Jesus. And he's wanting to see him for the reason, really likely, to get rid of him. He, and, he, and the reason why is he made the statement, I beheaded John. So who is this Jesus guy? I've heard about him. What he doesn't realize is, Jesus just slipped through his fingers when he was an infant. Same Herod. Now he's saying, I got John. Jesus, I want to get you. And the way he wants to get him, he says, he seems an interesting guy. I'm perplexed by him. Who is this guy I keep hearing about? So Jesus' popularity is, is growing. Keep your finger here. We're going to look at some other scriptures. Keep, keep your finger here in Luke chapter 9 and flip over to Luke chapter 23. Because the amazing thing is, Herod does meet Jesus. And Jesus refused to speak to him. He had nothing to say to this guy. Now I want you to understand, Jesus grieved when John the Baptist died. John the Baptist was his cousin. John the Baptist paved the way from this man. And Herod here in Luke chapter 9 is mocking, Hey, I killed, I beheaded John. I need to see Jesus now. This is their meeting they're about to have. Look here, Luke 23, verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked the man, he asked if the man was a Galilean. Finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time he wanted to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So, so this whole time, Herod has been dying to see Jesus. And now he's finally getting, he's getting his opportunity. It's a couple of years later from Luke chapter 9. So he kept asking him questions. But look at this. But Jesus did not answer him. And you know, I think what, think, I thought you think about this. Jesus is probably thinking, Herod, you beheaded John the Baptist. You beheaded a man who called out your sin. You killed the greatest prophet, as the Scriptures declare, that was ever born of a woman. He, he committed a great sin, and Jesus said nothing. Herod wanted to talk to Jesus, but Jesus had nothing to say to Herod. And I think about this. Think about how, think about the anger. The Bible says Jesus, he was sad. He wept that John the Baptist 
was gone. He ushered in, John the Baptist ushered in the new covenant with the New Testament. And now this one man, Herod, who Jesus is standing in front of on trial, is bragging about how he killed him. So probably some of us at this point, we would have the temptation that we're going to lash out and say, I'm going to show it to you, Herod. I've got some words to speak to you. Jesus is tied up. Jesus is in chains right now. He's on trial. He's under Pilate's authority, and Pilate doesn't know what to do with him, so we throw him in front of Herod to see what's going to happen. He kept, verse 10, The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, the purple robe, sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Previously, they had been enemies. So even Jesus was able to unite two people who both hated Jesus as friends. He, they, they came together. But I think the picture, what we see here, is in Luke chapter 23, Herod wanted so bad to talk to Jesus and to hear from him. Jesus never said a word. No response from him. And probably Jesus, you know, this is the same Herod who tried to kill Jesus as a baby, who did kill John the Baptist, and now we've got Jesus on trial with him. <clears throat> you know, um, if you flip back a couple, just to show you, if you look back in your Bible to Luke chapter 13, if you look at verse 1, look at what it says here. Luke 13, 1. This is, we're all over Luke tonight. At that time, this is Luke 13, 1. At that time, some people came and reported him that the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. I'm sorry, I meant Luke 13, 31. That was verse 1. <clears throat> At that time, it still starts the same. At that time. Some Pharisees came and told him, Go get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. The Pharisees were even warning Jesus, Hey, Jesus, even Herod wants your, your head. Here he got John the Baptist, you're next. So leading up to this event where they finally meet, this is their one time they actually met. Because remember, Herod got away, or Jesus got away from Herod when they escaped to Egypt. And Herod flew into a rage, if you remember, that's a Christmas time message. So finally, the one time all the way to Luke 23 is when Herod and Jesus finally meet, and Jesus is speechless. He doesn't say a word. Now, back in, hopefully you kept your finger there, back in Luke chapter 9, this is interesting. This is a great Bible study we see here. It says here in verse 8, some that Elijah had appeared. Now that's interesting. Why would they believe Elijah had appeared? You don't need to turn there, but in 2 Kings 2.11, the Bible says that Elijah, he was with Elisha, and the the whirlwind came down. God had been preparing a handoff from Elijah to Elisha. And the Bible says a whirlwind came down. In 2 Kings 2.11, it says, Then Elijah went up into heaven and the whirlwind. Elijah never died. Elijah went home to be with God. Alive. 
he went up in a chariot of fire and went to be with the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this, and one of the great things about Elijah, he's a great Old Testament prophet. If you, I want you to turn, the, turn to the book of Malachi. This is a prophecy probably a lot of you don't know about. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It's one of the last, it's the, I believe it's the, Next to last verse in the Old Testament. So find the book of Matthew and go back two pages and you'll see it. Malachi 4, 5. Look what he said. Look what he said here. Malachi is making a prophecy about what's a harping, and he's going to talk about Elijah. Elijah, the Jewish folks kind of understood Elijah. Okay, he went up in the whirlwind. He's never died. So is he coming back? And look what it says. It says here, Look, I'm going to send to you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So Elijah is prophesied here that Elijah is going to return before the Messiah. So who was this Elijah? Well, we know this Elijah. It's not literally the Elijah who came uh, went up in the whirlwind. We know that the Elijah here is revealed in verse Malachi 3.1, where it says, I'm going to send my messenger. The Elijah who came was John the Baptist. Elijah came back through John the Baptist. Okay, He was the messenger who came to prepare the way of the Lord. Just like Elijah went up in the whirlwind, he came back and to prepare, get everybody ready. He is the last of all the prophets, John the Baptist, paving the way for Jesus so Elijah was prophesied to return before the Messiah. Well, we say, well, Daniel, why does he use the word Elijah and not John the Baptist? Well, it was a prophecy. He uses Elijah's name, but we know Elijah hasn't come back to earth. He's in heaven with the Lord, but John the Baptist did. And we see in the book of Malachi, Malachi 3.1, and then connect it with Malachi 4.5, and that pieces it together of how the purpose of John the Baptist. So I think what you tie all this together... Jesus was prepared by John the Baptist. Herod killed John the Baptist because John the Baptist preached on sin. John the Baptist was declared as the greatest prophet that ever lived. What was so great about him? The man was bold. He preached on sin. He didn't care what people thought of him. He was the greatest, greatest man. In fact, it wasn't just greatest prophet. The Bible says he was the greatest man that's ever walked on the earth. Is how great John the Baptist was outside of Jesus. And now, I think what the emotional part for us is here is Jesus standing in front of the man who killed his cousin, who is the greatest prophet to prepare him, and Jesus doesn't say a word. The principle, the takeaway for us tonight about this is for us is, you know, probably Jesus had some, possibly some desire to think, you know, I want to get back at this guy for what he's done. And he says nothing. You know the old saying, if you can't say anything nice at all, it's best not to say anything. That proves true. That's why they wipe the feet off their dust. You can't say any words, so you just hit your feet together and say, because when you lash out, that's slander. That's sin. It's a sin for us. The whole book of James talks about if you can't control your tongue, you will struggle, you will suffer. And the Bible makes clear, Jesus controlled his tongue. He did not speak out against Herod here. All right, go back to Luke chapter 9 here. Now we're about to see the one miracle 
other than the resurrection that is actually found in all four of the gospel accounts. And this is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, obviously, the resurrection is found in all four of the gospels. And that's a great miracle, of course, that Jesus Christ is resurrected. But now we're about to see. So this one miracle, what's so great about it, is I believe it's a principle for us that if God thought it was enough to put it in all four gospel accounts, it's enough for us to know this. And there's obviously biblical principles for us to apply even today. We're going to be here. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. The Bible says, When the apostles returned, I say, Pastor, he returned. Remember, they were sent out. They were sent out to heal and cure diseases, to preach the gospel, the kingdom of God. It says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. Now, that report, we know from the other gospel accounts, it was positive. In fact, the 12 disciples came back and said, Jesus, even the demons obey your names. We touched people and they were healed. We spoke and had power in our voice. Do you know the problem with this today is, it says in verse 10, the apostles return. Guys, some of us have never left. Like, we can't return because we've never done anything. Like, you wonder, okay, why have I experienced this? I want to experience this power and authority and this incredible life that Jesus offers here. Part of what they did, they lived sent. They were willing to go. They said, I want a more I want more from my Christian life. I want to experience more of the power of God. So don't miss that word there in verse 10 when they returned. Have you returned or have you never left? Verse, uh, latter part of verse 10, it says here, He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them. Now Bethsaida is out in the country. This is this is. Country, country Baptist Church is where they're at right now. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. So Jesus, they followed him out in, the, out in the county, out there. So the crowds just followed him. They're right there with him. So he's still, if they're out there, he speaks to them. He teaches them. Late in the day, the twelve approached him and said, Send the crowd away. So they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place here. So what they realized, Jesus, we've got thousands of people around us. And you know there's no places to buy any food. We're out here in the country and starting to get 4, 5, 6 o'clock. Sun's not far from setting. They need to go back home. They need to go find a motel. They need to go do something. They need to leave because we, we, can't, we can't meet their needs here. And look what Jesus says here, verse 13. You give them something to eat. He told them, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. They said, Unless we go and buy food for all these people. Now, that's probably a joke they were saying that. There wasn't enough food around there to feed all these people. They probably didn't have the resources to go buy food. There was no place to go buy all the food. They had to go to other villages to even eat. They aren't just going to go. They have five pieces of bread and two fish. And he's saying, you know, 
We, we don't have a lot of options. And if you look there in the parentheses, verse 14, for about 5,000 men were there. That doesn't include women and children. So there's a probably, there could be 12, 13,000 people, 14,000 people. This is a huge event. This is like Rupp Arena, but except it doesn't seat, it seats 20-something thousand. It's like Rupp Arena is almost full, but not quite full. And they're listed their church service, and they've been there all day. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, we need to feed all these people here. Well, the concessions have run out of food. Everything's closed. What are we going to do? Like, there's no, there's no food here at the arena to feed all these people. They're, they're listening to the Word of God, but they're going to get hungry. They're going to be starving soon. And Jesus is saying we need to feed them. Well, out of verse 14, Then he told his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. Have you ever wondered, why do we give a blessing for our food? This is why we bless our food right here. Jesus picked up the five loaves and the two fish, and he thanked God for them. He blessed, his, he blessed the meal, and it says he broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. <clears throat> that, that, that's the end of the verse there. I was, I was about to turn the page. So what we see here, what Jesus is saying with this miracle, is he, he, apparently there were 12 baskets there. He picked up food and he blessed it. And the baskets just kept multiplying. Food didn't fall down from heaven in the basket. The baskets never ran empty. So the disciples are giving out these groups of 50, an easy way to distribute it, yet they never run out of, of bread and fish. And I think what we see here, the powerful event that applies to us, is say, Dean, what's the purpose of this miracle? Are we just seeing that Jesus can turn, multiply uh, fish and uh, loaves of bread? What Jesus is trying to say, and what he says to us today in 2018 through this miracle, feeding 5,000 people, he looks at us, he looks at his disciples, and he looks at all the 5,000 people he's about to feed, and he says, trust me, I will meet your needs. I will give you a supply. This is one of the hardest things for us to do. God is inviting you and I, through this miracle, to trust Him. He's crying out. He's calling out, Hey, if you're hungry, I can, t I can take care of you. I can meet this need. I can make the bread and the fish multiply. You never run out. I have never met anyone who tithes, who lives for the Lord, and says, Well, I'm, I, I'm homeless. I went broke. It, it, God let me down. He doesn't. God never fails. His trust never comes up short. And this, is, this is important enough that it is included in every single gospel account. Of, only miracle, other than the resurrection, that's in all four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus Christ, the whole time, is telling the folks, guys, just trust me. If I say you give them to something to eat, you give them to something to eat. Anything we do in our life, when you're in God's will, and God 
has you doing something. You have to trust Him that it's going to happen. Even as a church, we have to trust that God will provide. God will grant and answer prayers. God will give when needed. That's what it means literally when He's he's asking us, He's inviting us to allow Him to meet His needs. All right, last section we're going to look at here. Peter's confession. Peter's confession and Jesus' warning. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. Look what happens here. While he was praying in private, you know, this is going back to Luke. One of the great things, you know, the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus praying in any other book in the Bible in Luke than in any others. We see a picture of Jesus praying publicly. He blessed the food. He said, God, thank you for this food. Privately, he's praying right here, verse 18. Anytime a major decision was about to occur in Scripture, anytime Jesus was about to do something big, He bathed that time in prayer. We make decisions very logically. Whether how much it costs, what's our margin of error, what's the pros and cons. Jesus makes His decisions in prayer. While He's praying privately, His disciples are with Him and they ask Him, this is what, or he asked them. This is what they say. Jesus is about to pose a question. Who do the crowds say that I am? You know, that's, that's almost like today. In a, in a social media culture, he's getting some feedback. So what are people saying about me these days? How many likes and comments and shares am I getting? What's the word on the street about Jesus of Nazareth? Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the ancient prophets has come back. You know what's interesting about that? Do you know who offered those three examples? If you look back, <clears throat> you know whose disciples listened to? The disciples were listening to Herod. Look at this. Don't miss this. Herod hears, he was, this is, look back, Luke chapter 7. Look what it says here. We're studying this, Luke, or I'm sorry, not chapter 7, verse 7. Luke chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Herod here in verse uh, 7 was perplexed. Some said that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah, still others, some of the ancient prophets had risen. Jesus asked the question, who the crowd say I am? Well, John the Baptist, Elijah, and some of the ancient prophets kept coming. Now, did the crowd say that, or did, or did Herod say that? The disciples were very aware of what Herod was saying. Herod understand, he was the politician of the day. Don't you? He's like the Donald Trump. He's the Barack Obama. He's the guy you follow on the Twitter feed to see what's on Fox News. Everybody knows what Herod thinks. And the disciples follow, like the disciples follow Herod. They knew the answers, well, some say John the Baptist, some say you could be Elijah, and others say one of the ancient prophets to come back. I want you all to follow me on this because I think the disciples, the disciples weren't following the Lord, they were following Herod in the news media. They were following the word on the street of what's being talked about. And then look what Jesus turns it. Jesus is making a difference. This is for us. This is why we have to be careful who we listen to. This is why... This is why news media, if you aren't careful, guys, it sucks you in. It shapes your thinking. 
probably some of these disciples at this point, they're probably thinking, okay, could Jesus be Elijah? Could he be John the Baptist? Or is he one of some other one of the old prophets who miraculously come back to life? But look what Jesus does here. He takes that. He launches that. In verse 20, he says, But you, he asked them, but you, who do you say that I am? He took something from the abstract. Just what's the word on the street out there? But I want to know what you think. Listen, following Jesus Christ, you don't do it as a groupie. You don't follow Jesus because you didn't get saved because your family was saved. You get saved because you, were, you yourself was under conviction of sin and you're responding to the gospel of Jesus. He's the one who saves you. He doesn't save groups of people. He saves individuals. And look what Peter spoke up. Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. I mean, you're the Son of God is what he's saying. And I think what's powerful about this and the, and the principle we see here in tying all this together is how Jesus was aware that his disciples, were they were very keenly aware of what Herod and the news thought of Jesus. In fact, they even gave the exact answer that Herod gave. But Jesus didn't care about that. He wanted to know about what do you say. And this is a question that in our personal evangelism, when you're sharing the good news with people, it's not what someone grew up, a church they grew up in. It's not who their grandfather was. It's not they used to go to church and they were a member years ago. Jesus wants to know, okay, where do you stand with the Lord right now? Is He your Savior? Do you have an active prayer life? Do you call Him Abba, Father? Do you speak to Him like you would be speaking to your own dad? Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, But He strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man may suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised up on the third day. What's powerful about this is Jesus is now revealing where He's going. Now, they don't understand. They think Jesus is Elijah, John the Baptist, or one of the prophets who's come back. And what Jesus is doing here is Jesus' is, Jesus is confession. Peter's confession by answering this question, you are God's Messiah, it actually answers Herod's question. Herod was the one who wanted to know, okay, who are you, Jesus? Are you Elijah, John the Baptist, or one of the prophets? Jesus did finally answer the question. He just didn't answer it to, to, to Herod. He answered it to his 12 disciples privately because they were wondering the same thing. And I think what was powerful about that, they were very aware of what the culture was teaching. Public proclamation here. Why did Jesus tell them to be quiet? Public proclamation about Jesus being the Messiah. What, what happened here is it would have brought a great confrontation between, between Jesus and Rome. Jesus' ministry would have ended very quickly if he went around telling people that he was the Messiah. So wrapping all this up, looking at these 23 verses here, 22 verses here in the Scriptures, what do we see from this? Jesus is sending his people. And I think the principle for this for us, guys, some of us, the reason we're not seeing great fruit in our life is we, we can't return because we've never left. We're still there. We're stuck. And Jesus sent his 12 disciples. They did not stay in the building. We have to live lives that live sent. 
There's times that we have to go into our community and go be intentional in sharing the gospel. And not only that, Herod, what Jesus took, Herod, here's the Donald Trump of the day, Herod took the, Jesus took his popularity and answered those questions among his own disciples. So that meant, I want you to follow what I'm saying, Herod and Jesus never saw each other until the very end. But his disciples were following everything Herod was doing. And Jesus then answered Herod's question in their mind because they were concerned. They were worried about what Herod thought. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter what Donald Trump, it doesn't matter what Barack Obama, it doesn't matter what politics is teaching. What about you? Who am I to you? That's what Jesus is saying. He makes it personal. And what we see in the feeding of 5,000, Jesus is telling us, he's asking the question, do you trust me? Give me the five loaves. Give me the two fish. And just, do you believe I can take something so little and have such a maximum, multi-thousand impact? This is like, what if we said, okay, what if we had a guest preacher come in and say, you know, we're going to take up an offering and we're going to reach the world for Christ. I'm going to take whatever offering we give and we're going to give it to the Lord. And we pass offering place and instead of the ushers going in the back, putting it in the safe, they come down front and they count it. And they count $43.15. That was our Sunday night offering. And this preacher takes it and says, Amen. This is great. Wow. I'm going to take this and I'm going to multiply it times thousands. And he prays over their offering, and we're like, that's not even enough to go buy you a, a, a taxi home. Like, you're not going anywhere. You can buy a tank of gas, maybe, on $43.15. But that preacher's Jesus. And he takes it and says, watch me. That's what's happening here with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is saying, do you trust me? Someone who can take something so little and multiply it and make it so much. That is, that's the God we serve. That's the God who's inviting us to trust Him. And He looks at that offering, and it's that $43.15 offering, and says, you go out and feed the people. You go out and do something with it. Make it multiply. That's what kingdom math is like. Church, we have to trust the Lord. Broadway, we have to believe that if Jesus can feed 5,000 people with five little pieces of bread and two fish, he can, if He can do it back then, He can do it today. God, I thank You for Your Word. I pray tonight that we will trust You. Lord, we see these Scripture here about how You are inviting the disciples to trust You. You are inviting the disciples to say, Watch what I can do with so little. Lord, some of us, we follow Herod of the day. We follow, we're glued to the news. We know more about what, Herod, about what culture says about Jesus than what your word says about Jesus. God, I pray that when we are pinpointed the question, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Lord, we are boldly able, like the G, like. like Peter, to stand up and say, you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. 
Lord, I pray tonight that, Lord, we will see in these scriptures here that even there in verse 18, how you broke away privately, you went away and prayed alone. Lord, we will get alone with you. Even when Jesus was interrupted, we acknowledge that interruptions are going to happen, but we meet those needs. Lord, when the people, when Herod wanted to see Jesus and even spoke to Jesus and mocked Jesus, Lord, you did not reply. We don't fight words with words. Lord, we just dust off our feet and move on. God, I just pray we lift sin, that we are a church, we are a body of believers that's intentional about advancing the gospel. Lord, we give you this invitation. If there's anyone here that needs to respond tonight, here on June 10th, we pray we certainly do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We close every worship service with an invitation. I'll be standing down front. It's your opportunity to respond to the good news. Let's stand together. I'll be waiting down front for you to respond. Let's sing together, I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. You, David, thank you so much. I want you to be, be remembering uh, Mr. Bill Eads, our church's custodian. Just continue praying for him this week. He's at the VA hospital, so he's still in need of prayer and um, you know, we are in need. Bill still wants to uh, try to keep clean our church, but it's, it's challenging for him. It's getting tough, but uh, that's a need here in our church, in our church family. But uh, he is there, and he's, um, he's, he's hanging along. Also, someone else in our church family is um, Charlie Moffitt. He's in ICU just right down the road here. At, uh, unless Brother Hurd, he's, uh, has he got out of ICU today? Have you heard? So he's still ICU, he's right down the road here at St. Joseph's. He was uh, sent there yesterday, he wasn't, he wasn't feeling too well. So those are two prayer needs here in our church family. All right, David? All right, we'll close together singing, Leaning on Jesus. Sing it with me. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all along. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting. Oh. All right, good night.